interrupt our program to bring you this important message. This is not a drill. This is an emergency. You knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I'm Tommy Salmons. Okay, here we go. Hope everybody can hear me just fine. I am going to have to adjust the volume. It didn't even take two seconds into recording this that we froze up. So, I'm going to get right into it. Reparations. 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 A reparation is a good idea. <clears throat> At the beginning of the founding of this country, there were was slavery, and slavery existed until after the Civil War. Um, after the Civil War, the slaves were emancipated. They were freed. We're talking about the 1860s here. We're talking 150 years. So I'm thinking, I'm working through these ideas in my head, like, and I'm not coming to a, any clarity whatsoever as to how reparations are supposed to fix the problem if there is a problem what what are reparations supposed to do you're you're now saying okay this enslaved group of people can now oppress the this group of people because a quarter, like 25% of them enslaved these people, like brought them over from another country and enslaved them. <sighs> it just doesn't seem legitimate. It's... I'm anti-slavery unless I have the power to enslave another group of people is probably one of the more immoral arguments I have ever heard in my life. Um, I, I don't know where y'all grew up, but where I grew up, I was always taught two wrongs don't make a right. And so you're, what you're, what you're asking is that a 
bunch of people pay the price for past generations in order to create a scenario where future generations hate a particular people because of the color of their skin. I just, I don't see the legitimacy to it. If you want to voluntarily give of money or give of property and assist a person that is in the lineage of a slave that maybe hasn't gotten a foot forward, I can... I can get behind that because it's voluntary. It's voluntary that you involve yourself into that that situation. Um, but but doing so coercively is is no better than inflicting slavery upon another group of people. And I'm not saying this because I'm white, because believe it or not, I ain't going to pay you. You ain't going to get shit out of me. I don't make enough. I, I, I'm i bottom of the fucking totem pole. It doesn't matter to me. You can take, you can take whatever you want out of Jeff Bezos' ass. It's not going to affect me in the least bit. But that's not what the point is. The, the point is that if you... If you turn the idea of equality into mm, retributive action, retributive, retributive, into retribution, and you... Continue to attack people based on the idea of their race, no matter what their race, you're going to get an equal and opposite reaction. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So therefore, if you're attacking people because of the color of their skin, you are going to be attacked based upon the color of your skin or your your children or your grandchildren will be based on the color of their skin. And to say that this is a systemic problem in America... Maybe in some places. Maybe. I've never seen it. I uh, I actually have a pretty interesting history with black Americans. Um... I was born into a family 
that was not, eh, it's probably average middle class at the time. Now, my great grandma owned a hardware store. She had a gentleman that worked for her that was a black guy, and his name was Jack. I was probably like three or four years old, and I'd go hang out at my grandma's store, and Jack would take me out back. He'd sit me on his knee, and he would teach me how to cook. I learned how to make okra and tomatoes. When I was four years old from Jack, um, got the general concept of some gumbo too, but Mr. Jack, and I always called him Mr. Jack because Mr. Jack always called me Mr. Tommy, even though he was in his thirties, forties, fifties, and I was four years old. He had that old mindset and And so Mr. Jack would call me Mr. Tommy. He'd sit me on his knee and he would teach me how to cook. And I would hang out with Mr. Jack all day long. And eventually my great grandma got to the point where she could not run the hardware store anymore. And excuse me. She had to let Mr. Jack go because she just, she couldn't, couldn't afford to pay him anymore. She couldn't run the hardware store anymore. Mr. Jack had been in my life, my entire life. I was, I was a teenager at this time. I think maybe early twenties, late teens, early twenties. When, when granny shut down the hardware store. To this day, people in my family keep in touch with Mr. Jack. Because Mr. Jack worked for my great-grandma for a hell of a lot of years. He became part of the family. And the color of his skin never mattered that I know of. Never mattered to me. He was a fixture in our lives. I've run into truck drivers out on the road from Lake Charles. And every one of them, the first question I ask them, do you you know Jennings Hardware? Do you know Mr. Jack? Because he was such an influential person in my life. And though I haven't seen him in in many years, I think about Mr. Jack all the time. I think that I learned valuable lessons from being with Mr. Jack and, and watching him cook about life that the color of his skin never mattered to me. He was an adult and he knew what he was doing. 
and he was teaching me something valuable. He was teaching me something that I could use in my future. And I never cared that Mr. Jack was black. I never cared that he called me Mr. Tommy. It actually made me feel grown up. Yeah. When you're a kid, all you want to do is feel grown up. Feel like you belong. I don't ever remember a time where Mr. Jack told me to go away or that I was bothering him, that I was harassing him, that there was anything more than a desire within him to uh to teach and and to show a child growing up in a world full of confusion that it didn't matter what color his skin was or what color my skin was that we were people and we were capable of caring for each other that we were capable of having interactions into which though he was the adult and he was the superior in the interactions i never felt that mr jack was treating me as an inferior he always treated me like a human being. And I would go there every summer as a kid and hang out at Granny's Hardware Store. I'd watch Mr. Jack fix bicycles. And I would talk with Granny. We'd have a good time. Jennings Hardware, Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's not there anymore. But never once did I hear Granny refer to Mr. Jack as anything less than a person. Anything less than family. Mr. Jack was was part of the family. He was, what, an uncle maybe? A distant uncle. He didn't look like me, but it, it didn't matter that he didn't look like me. Nobody ever had anything bad to say about him. Not one word. We were fairly impoverished blue-collar workers. If you're down digging a trench or climbing a scaffold or swinging a sledgehammer, To feed your family. You don't give a shit about what color skin person is next to you. You just want to make sure your family's fed. Working your ass off. You're killing yourself. Nobody gave a fuck. Mr. Jack could fucking fix a bicycle in no time. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I'm not even saying that in such a way that he was like some Superman. 
Because how hard is it to fix a bicycle? All I'm saying is he just wanted to make it. And he found a position with my great-grandma employing him in which he was very comfortable for many, many years. Maybe he didn't make all the money in the world. There was a time on this earth where money wasn't all that important. A man went to work to pay their bills, put food on the table. That was pretty much what you wanted to do. You didn't give a shit about all the other bullshit. You didn't have an iPhone to worry about. But I never heard Mr. Jack complain, and I never heard anybody complain about Mr. Jack. Anytime I see my family, I ask about Mr. Jack. Anybody heard from him? How's he doing? Because my great-grandma has died. Was this? You're talking 20 years after she cleared. Mr. Jack was still part of her life. So I don't know about this racist America. I didn't live in that America. What I lived in, what I grew up in, was blue-collar America. I grew up in in a time, or the way I grew up, Your number one priority was paying the bills and putting food on the table. Nobody had savings. Nobody thought about savings. There certainly wasn't any idea that wealth was in the picture. My dad worked three jobs at times. My mom worked herself up from the mail room to now, today, 30 years later, earning a six-figure income. And nobody was concerned with race. Nobody concerned themselves with gender. Nobody concerned themselves with these ambiguities of difference, division. It just wasn't a reality. We were too poor. We couldn't afford to think about these things. All we could think about was how can we keep the government from fucking us over as we're trying? And my dad and mom, my mom is more anarchist than my dad, I would say. And but my dad, he's he's pretty much a conservative. Yeah. His yeah, he I mean he's told me more than once this is just how it's always been. I, and I you know, okay. That's fine. That's what you're comfortable with. That mean it's right, that mean it works better than any other solution. It's just what you know. And I think when people get older, 
they become more conservative, not because they have a conservative view, uh, as much as they have the view that, huh, yeah, well, I understand this at least. I don't have to agree with it, but at least I understand it, and I don't want it to change. And but but that was never the case with race in my house. Nobody even I think the only conversation about race I ever had with my parents was with my mom. And she told me. She said, you know, there are gonna be some people in our family that would have a problem if you were to be with a black woman. But I want you to know that you be with whoever you want to be with. And I'll always, I'll always love you. I'll always be there for you. That no matter who you choose to spend your life with, I'm always going to be there for you. And I thought that was interesting. But it never really registered that there were racists in my family. And I could probably, even right now, just thinking, I could probably point out a couple people that I think are fairly racist. But more out of ignorance, not because they hate anybody, but because people fear what they don't understand. So if you don't understand a specific way of life, then, nah, I, I can understand to an extent. But here's something that bothers me. Here's something personal about me that you wouldn't know unless I told you. I have a Confederate flag tattoo on my right shoulder. And I never considered the Confederate flag to be racist growing up. To me, it was a symbol of rebellion. It was a big middle finger to the man. It was basically telling Washington, D.C. that the South doesn't belong to the government. That's pretty much what I thought of it as. And now I'm supposed to be shunned into silence, never allowing anybody to see this tattoo on my shoulder that is faded to shit. It was the first tattoo I ever got. I got it when I was 18 years old. You can barely even see it anymore. Yet I'm supposed to be ashamed of it. And I'm like, eh. That, I didn't mean anything racist by it. Like, I didn't even know that the Ku Klux Klan truly even existed anymore until two years ago. Because I just, I don't keep up with race politics. Why would I keep up with racism? Like, it's not my thing. I'm not a racist. Why would I care? To, I'd heard talk, people say things about AB, 
the Aryan Brotherhood in the past, over the past like seven, eight years, eh, I never even really thought about it. It never even made sense to me. I was just kind of like, okay. Like you got this prison gang that's coming out into the world and trying to exist. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to work. So I wonder how much of this conversation, how much of these, this, this talking about reparations, how much of the talking about racial injustice is actually influencing the racist elements of society. I'm not one of those people that believe if you ignore a problem, it'll go away. I don't, I don't believe that. But it almost feels like to an extent that if an idea that's ignored will will change and and I don't know maybe I'm wrong on this but I I know whenever I engage with people that one of the things I notice I do as I engage on different subjects and I bring up different subjects that I believe in or that I think are correct that when someone refuses to engage a specific idea or a specific element of my, um, I'm just going to call it a monologue, but of my argument, I reflect on that position more than I reflect on any other portion of my argument because I'm like, what, what about this was so absurd that it couldn't even be um, addressed, right? And sometimes I come to the conclusion that it wasn't so absurd, but it was just so correct. They couldn't dispute it. Fine. That's another story. But if you look at an argument and you're told over and over that your argument is absurd and that it shouldn't even be addressed, then then aren't you going to reflect on it? Why are we giving these these racial elements so much power? Or do they already have the power and we were unfamiliar with the power? Did we not recognize the power? Is that what the problem is? I don't understand some of the argumentation. But I certainly don't understand the argumentation of reparations. As if modern black Americans are incapable or inadequate in some way, shape, or form that they can't do, live their lives on their own? Why don't we just leave them alone? You know, in the 19, what was it, the 1950s? I'd have to look it up. I'm sorry, I didn't look this up. I didn't even know I was going to say this. But in the 1950s or 1960s, there was a such thing as Black Wall Street. I believe it was in Oklahoma City. And there were several, several wealthy black businessmen that were trading stocks in this area. 
and it got shut down by the federal government. But but that's not my shortcoming. That has nothing to do with with my prejudice. That was the prejudice of those in power. See, I've never been a person of power. I've never been a person that's been able to wield any sort of influence on a large scale. I'm not the one that you want reparations from. Now, if you want to go and say those that have the means to, to pay these reparations, you may have an argument. You may have an argument saying, hey, look, your family actually owns slaves and you have the means to, to compensate us for the harm that was done to our family. Okay, fine. But what does that have to do with um, an impoverished white man that's living in a trailer park that can barely keep the electricity on whose family is eating peanut butter and jelly nightly in order to to stay alive and to eat? What does that guy have to do with your reparations? What does that guy have to do with elitists that in the past had enslaved an entire group of people based upon their geography or the amount of melanin in their skin. Like, what does that have to fucking do with me? And I think that's where a lot of people are going to come from. If you can specify, we want reparations from those that whose families participated in and benefited in slavery to those whose families were victims of slavery. Eh, okay. I could almost get on board with that. At least it's a fairly, you know, reasonable expectation. Or we expect reparations from the federal government or from a state government for their laws, their segregationist laws causing harm and creating differences and, and, and opposing the freedoms of a specific people based upon race. Okay, maybe. But you can say that still today. That the federal government is still today picking winners and losers. Race just has a much smaller part to play in modern America than it did in the 50s and 60s or in the 1800s. So... When these people are coming forward and they're asking for reparations, what I hear, maybe not what they mean, but what I'm hearing is we have to enslave this group of people so that they know 
what this group of people felt like in the 1800s. And my argument against that is you weren't enslaved by a group of people. You were enslaved by individuals that had been propped up and given power by government to enslave you. So if you have a fight with somebody, it's to, with those individuals, those individual families, and that fucking government that allowed it. Not your local truck driver. Not your local Whataburger counter salesman trying to push an apple pie with your meal. You have an argument with those people and the families of those people that were involved in the slave trade. You have an argument with the government and the states that allowed these laws to persist. You don't have an argument with the average guy who doesn't even understand why race is a big deal because he's so distracted by the idea that tomorrow the lights are going to be turned off and he's not going to be able to put food on the table for his kids. If you got an argument with somebody, if you got a problem with somebody, you want reparations for some from somebody, point the finger in the right direction. You're going to get a lot better response from everybody else. I'm Tommy Salmons. Late. It, 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 it reminds you of the uh, uh, the glory of the American experiment.